0: Sex with Jaya is brought to you by Aloe Cadabra. Aloe Kadabra is 95% organic aloe vera. Visit www.allocadabra.com today. Step inside the sensual world of Sex with Jaya. This hour will bring you sex education like you've never heard before. It's uncensored, no holes barred advice to increase your sexual knowledge and performance. Now, here's your host, Jaya.
1: I'm ready for sex with Jaya, are you? I am so ready for a little sex with Jaya. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear love. I think you're always ready. Are you ever going to surprise me one of these weeks and say, I'm just not ready for sex with Jaya?
2: The biggest surprise I've given is something more like I, I'm in the, I'm ready for some cuddling with Jaya.
1: <laughs> well, we can definitely do some cuddling today. We're going to get our intimacy time today.
2: Yes, finally, weeks and weeks and weeks in the making.
1: Yes, oh, the sex educator gets to practice what she preaches.
2: Exactly, got to do more of that.
1: <laughs> yes, for sure. So today, you know, we're exploring the seven steps to keeping a marriage happy and healthy. My guest, Dr. John Gottman, has a lot to say about why relationships fail or succeed. He can actually tell if a couple will stay together or divorce just in a matter of a few minutes, just by looking at them. D-Love and I are going to pick his brain, extracting all the important information that you need to know in order to keep your relationship healthy and improve your intimacy. You'll learn how to overcome resentment and even some tips for getting your sex life back on track if it's fallen to the zero point. D love. I think you. You first found out about Dr. Gottman before I did.
2: I did. Um, I'm having a hard time. I think it was in uh, was it Freakonomics. It was one of the one of the books that I've been reading in the last year. They mentioned him, and they were you know it was very intriguing because of what you just said that he can de- determine whether a couple is going to stay together or not within a few minutes of watching them talk about just the most mundane of issues in their life together. Mm-hmm. So, so reading his, and reading his book, we get a little insight on, on his methodology. And yes, how we've
1: both been. been reading his book. We both have our own copy. That's true. Ma- maybe that's something to do with having a good relationship. You get your own stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of sharing his book, we're, we're getting our own copies, which you can read at our own leisure. Right. I think I'm winning, though.
2: Mar- I think you are. You, 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 take more t- you have more time to read, and it's your line of work.
1: Yes, it's true. I, I kind of have to. Yeah. So I kind of should be winning. <laughs> if you weren't bad. <laughs> I had to make it all a fun, friendly competition. It's all friends. Yes. So having a good relationship does have something to do with having a great sex life, in my opinion. Although sometimes great sex doesn't come with a whole lot of intimacy. Emotional intimacy can sometimes be detrimental to your physical intimacy. I am a big believer in that, having worked with lots of couples who are in sexless relationships. But many people say that sex gets better over time when they're in a long-term relationship. And I have to say that with many of the couples I work with, resentment is probably the number one thing killing their physical intimacy. I mean, why? would you want to have sex with an intimacy with somebody who you despise really on the inside so you know i don't know resentment i think is probably especially for my new parents out there it's really easy to get resentful don't you think d-love
2: yeah you could make it a fetish though
1: (laughs) yeah yeah how's that i want to hear i want to hear about that have
2: angry sex you know
1: oh anger sex Yes.
2: yes i resent you and i'm going to i'm going to fuck you with my anger
1: yeah i don't know though if that that's healthy no no
2: Hmm. i mean (laughs) i mean
1: i guess i guess you know sometimes if you want to get it kick-started again because sometimes you could start with the anger sex and then you could get into feeling the bonding and the love and that could open the door for having the communication about things
2: yeah well in i don't know it just keeps coming to me because one of the things i think it might be a misreading or just a, a shallow interpretation of what uh uh, Gottman is saying about communication um the that uh, communication is isn't what keeps people's relationships together mm-hmm. um but like any one of these layers you feel like you strip it away the sexual intimacy you strip away communication you um strip any away, of those any of those and and you I have a hard time seeing how a relationship could feel fantastic and fulfilling. Without Without those
1: two big pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gottman's work came to me after a very high recommendation, and I have to say his book does challenge some of my own teachings, and the big one is communication, because I really believe that it's the glue that helps a relationship to really thrive. So we'll see what he has to say about that. Um, I also consider myself to have a lot of success in relationships due to my communication skills, and my relationships are usually filled with lots of aliveness and great physical passion and honesty and trust and a really solid foundation. Would you agree with me, dear love?
2: I would, very much yeah. nice,
1: But I have to say, of course, after having a baby, a lot of things changed.
2: It's hard to even know what to communicate about because you don't know what the hell's going on.
1: And then when you're communicating, you have like a baby who's, you know, vying for both of our attention. And so it's hard to even have that time set aside to talk about all the things. And then when you get together, it's all about logistics because it's the only time you have to talk. So Oof. anyway, it's a, it's a challenge. So luckily, Dr. Gottman has also written a book on that, too
2: we haven't read that one yet though
1: I haven't read that one yet that was on my list I'm like I have to go to the bookstore and get that one because that one really applies to where we're at right now yeah so of course I have to throw in my two cents I have my five things that I think make a relationship work and also keep the hot sex because we want both I think you know I don't know I don't like being in a relationship that doesn't have some hot sex involved in it too and I think we can have our cake and eat it too why not why not so the number one thing I think is honesty I'm really into being honest, not you know lying, cheating, all of that kind of stuff. That's I, I thrive on honesty. Honesty is my big turn on. I mean, when a guy is honest with me, I'm like, okay, I can go to bed with you.
2: <laughs> is that the uh, is that the same as transparency?
1: Yeah, I'd say that the, I'd put honesty and transparency in that category. Right. Okay. What number? And so two? the number two may sound like it's a total opposite, which is mystery. Hmm. So we have to be honest and transparent, but we also need a little mystery in there. You know, like closing the bathroom door when you go pee. Uh
2: Uh-huh. As if we don't know (laughs) what's going on on the other side of that door.
1: Right. Or, you know, having your own little things that keep a little bit of mystery about you. Getting ready for your date night without letting him see that you're getting ready and putting on your makeup or wearing a new scent or doing something new that he, like, going away for an hour in the afternoon and you don't tell your partner what you're doing for that time.
2: Some people, some people think that full, total disclosure within a relationship is uh, required for it to really be considered a, a real relationship. And uh, I'm on the fence. I think that there can be some place for having your own inner world. In fact, I don't remember what it was, but I was reading something, this is years ago, where um, that, and this leads into your mystery thing, that having something that's your own um, especially for men, uh, can keep a, a sense of autonomy,
1: autonomy. in the yep. relationship. Yep. So that leads me to number three, which is fun obstacles. Hmm. So a lot of people think obstacles are bad things, but I don't necessarily agree with that. I think having some kind of something fun that's an obstacle, like remember when you were first getting together and you made out for hours and kept your clothes on because it was an obstacle? Like we can't take our clothes off yet because we're not that place in our relationship yet. Right. I mean, like creating little things like that where, okay, today we're just going to have a make-out session and you are not allowed to take my clothes off. You can touch my, my you know, parts, but you have to do it through my clothes. That's <laughs> the rule.
2: But, yeah, it definitely <laughs> juices it up. Makes it a little, little fun.
1: Yeah. And then four, great communication skills. Here's where, you know, I come in with people really need to know and learn how to talk to one another. Yeah. And um, it doesn't necessarily mean, mean using the same... Using the same communication skills that therapists use, but using skills, having some skills and, and Gottman will, Dr. Gottman will talk about what those things are, I'm sure, as we pick his brain about that. And number five is bonding physically. So this means creating that hormonal bond. I talk a lot about oxytocin being the bonding and cuddling hormone, but how do we bond with our partner deeply, intimately, and I think touch is really important. What I see a lot with my couples is they just, they completely stop touching. They stop, they stop talking, they stop touching. Mm. And the touch, I'm just learning, I just learned, I went to the doctor this week because I was really having some major hormonal stuff or mood stuff going on. I was like, what is wrong with me? And I found out that I'm oxytocin deprived. I'm going through oxytocin withdrawal. Who knew? Who knew? I mean, what? I was like, oh my gosh, the queen of oxytocin is going through oxytocin withdrawal. But that's because I live in a high oxytocin state all the time. And then this month I decided to wean my baby. So I'm not getting the oxytocin from all night wean. Getting, I'm not getting the oxytocin from cuddling all night because we were co-sleeping and breastfeeding because that. Uh, the oxytocin requires the letdown of the milk and I'm sleeping separately from my partner D love. We're not cuddling. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do celibacy for the month of February cause I'm crazy and have to experiment with these things. And some other so,
2: healing as well.
1: Yes. So, and I'm going through some healing and, and so it was like, okay, well I'm not getting any oxytocin whatsoever. So my doctor prescribed me some oxytocin lozenges <laughs> <laughs> to get it. And you know, D-Love and I, we've got to start bonding again after this month-long break. We've got to start cuddling. Today's going to be a cuddle session, isn't it, D-Love?
2: It is. What if everybody was taking oxytocin lozenges? Would everybody just be in love with each other all the time?
1: I don't know. I think we'd feel blissful. Maybe we'd be in love with ourselves.
2: Would you be bonding with your toaster in the morning?
1: No, I think we'd be bonding more with ourselves and other objects that we can touch. I don't think we'd be bonding with our toaster. I I don't think it works that way. No. No. (laughs) Although they do spray oxytocin in the air sometimes at shopping malls.
2: They do. Oh, God. So
1: that you feel blissful when you're buying things and you Uh, want to go back. Isn't uh, that crazy?
2: Yeah. Well, science of merchandising. Yes. It's incredible.
1: So some of the things you can do to bond physically, touching one another, you know, doing light stroking, that's a really good way to get the oxytocin going in the body. Um whispering sweet nothings in each other's ears. Mm. Yes, I like oxytocin. I guess I'm an oxytocin addict since I'm going through withdrawal. Well, Maybe I when, need to go to oxytocin rehab.
2: When it's something that's part of the natural biology, I don't think that would be that <laughs> an addict.
1: <laughs> I can't wait to get my oxytocin lozenges. They were out of them at the pharmacist. So. I want to try one. You're going to steal my oxytocin and you your love? testosterone. I'm going to take
2: it all. <laughs> Not your estrogen, though.
1: Uh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, those five things honesty, mystery, fun obstacles, great communication skills, and bonding physically. So, in that bonding physically, I'd say, you know, since you have great communication skills, you need good t- touch skills, too. Right. So, those yeah. good touch and talk skills. And that's my formula for keeping things. Hot, but also creating longevity in relationship.
2: And the sixth would be multiple partners.
1: <laughs> yes, D-Love. That's <laughs> yours. You're adding that one. Why, why, D-Love? We only have like a few minutes. Okay, or not well, even a the, few minutes. the
2: multiple partners thing, there's just so much science stacking up on it, and t- from the actual biological science to the statistical uh, data on how couples work and uh, ha- how the hormones work in relationship over time that... Um, the uh, it's t- the time has come for a much broader concept of how we configure our interpersonal relationships. And, uh, I mean, you and I are part of that wave with, with polyamory, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of people who are in that boat with us, and there's a lot of people who are um, either serial monogamists or they cheat on their partners or... Um, they're constantly, they're not attracted to their partner at all, but they have other attractions and they're not mm-hmm. honoring those parts of themselves. So it creates more deadness in our relationships as opposed so to...
1: So what I'd call that category, D-Love, is a, is a, a way of openness. Not that everybody, you know, if you're married and you're listening to this, that we're not saying that polyamory is for everybody, but that there's a level of openness, I think, in successful relationships. Like, I know I could never be with somebody who was overly jealous, who was always like, in my stuff, wanting to know everything and where am I going, and very insecure. Like I would have a really hard time with that, but that's my personality type. So, right. Um. So, uh, some sort of level of openness and trust, maybe. that's, it, that's Acceptance. I mean, first
2: accepting oneself.
1: Right. Okay. So we've got to take a break. When we get back, we'll be joined by our expert this week, Dr. John Gottman, author, researcher, and founder of the Gottman Relationship Institute. More sex with Jaya when we return.
0: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses
3: in your brain inspired really fast.
0: All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
3: Let's say you're female. Let's say you're over 50. Let's say your partner takes a little blue pill. Let's say he's ready to go maybe four hours. Let's say that's unfair. There's no little blue pill for women, but there is cadabra, The first personal lubricant that's made from 95% organic aloe, So it's as natural as nature which means it naturally does for your body what your body may no longer naturally do for itself. We're not saying that it will last four hours, but if you're lucky, neither will he. Kadabra, feel the magic happen.
0: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Sex with Jaya.
1: The yummy, effective, 95% organic Aloe Kadabra. Go to AloeKadabra.com. Use coupon code Jaya, that's J-A-I-Y-A, for 20% off. Or ask for Aloe Kadabra at Vitamin Shop and Vitamin World. Yay, we are back and we are talking with John Gottman. He's an author, he's a researcher, he's the founder of Gottman Relationship Institute. You can check out his website at Gottman.com. And that has two T's, G-O-T-T-M-A-N.com. Hello, John.
4: Pleasure to be here.
1: We are so excited to have you on. D-Love and I have both been reading your book. Oh, good. Thank you. And I'm very excited to get your book for new parents because we just had a baby. So we're... Oh,
4: you just had a baby.
1: We are there. A girl? We had a boy. Okay. He's About amazing.
4: Two years old. How ago? old is he?
2: Two, almost two.
4: Almost two. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. Yeah. So you are on a mission to help relationships, and you've done some pretty amazing research and written a number of books. Can you tell us a little bit about your research and why you're so passionate about helping couples?
4: Well, about um, 40 years ago, uh, when I was an assistant professor, uh, I teamed up with my best friend, Bob Levinson, who's now a professor at Berkeley, and uh, our relationships with women were not going very well. So we commiserated (laughs) over coffee. And decided that we really uh, knew very little about what makes relationships work. So we decided to do research on it. And this was in the the early 70s. And so we just built a lab that synchronized the videotape recording to physiology that we collected as a couple was talking about how their day went or they were fighting about an area they disagreed about and trying to... Disagreement. Well, they were talking about an enjoyable topic. And when I got to the University of Washington, uh, about 25 years ago, I built an apartment laboratory where couples just kind of hung out for, uh, 24 hours and the cameras rolled. And it was Mm -hmm. supposed to be a kind of bed and breakfast getaway. And we basically just followed couples for many, many years just to see how the relationships turned out. And some, some couples really managed to have very good relationships, and we wound up calling those the masters of relationships. And the ones who split up or stayed together and were really unhappy, we called the disasters. And basically, all the research was trying to find out is how are the masters different from the disasters? Mm-hmm. and uh, And then, about fifteen years ago, my wife and I started working together. Uh, she's a clinical psychologist as as am I. And we started really sort of trying to take all these basic findings about how the masters and disasters are different and see, could we help avoid disaster and could we turn a disaster into a master? Mm. And that's what we've been doing ever since.
1: Awesome. And so you can actually look at a couple and pretty much tell if they're going to be a disaster.
4: If we have three hours with a couple, you know, we do a set of interviews and questionnaires and have them talk to each other and look at their look at their tapes and, and they tell us what they're thinking and feeling during the tapes. In about three hours, we can get to well over 90% accuracy at wow. predicting whether they're going to stay together or not. And we've looked at couples across the whole life course. Uh, Bob and I are just finishing a 20-year study in the Bay Area of couples who are in their 40s or their 60s 20 years ago. And we've been following them for 20 years, the same group. Of 170 oh. couples, yeah. So we're, you know, we go all the way from, you know, from dating up through, um, you know, uh, couples who get pregnant, you know, and have babies, and we study the babies, young children, and we study the children as well as they develop emotionally and intellectually, all the way up through old age, retirement, and then death. Mm. Um, so, wow! So it's uh,
1: very comprehensive.
4: Right, and we've we've spent about twelve years studying gay and lesbian couples with the same methods.
1: Wow! wow. Are, are people
4: so, well, ner- sorry? Are people
2: nervous sorry. to invite you to their dinner parties?
4: Hardly ever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you talk a lot in your book about a myth around effective communication. Okay. Yet your book has a lot of communication exercises. Can you clarify for D love sure. and I because we're huge communication people? Okay, what so you've I, seen in your what, research that works? So, what do we
4: generally mean by communication?
1: When we're talking communication, we're talking good communication like effective skills like we we're big on nonviolent communication.
4: okay, so a lot of people talk about communication as really being able to get your message across and have the impact that you intend to have on someone. and in the early years of of family and couple's therapy, that was kind of what they meant by good communication that. You know the message was clear. People weren't mind reading. Uh, there were good feedback mechanisms, so people were very clear in communicating. And the therapist was viewed as somebody who was sort of a master at helping people to be very clear about their messages. Mm-hmm. But in fact, what's much more important in being clear and communicating well is being kind and sweet and nice and gentle. Um, and so, having you know, some empathy. And and empathic, right? Mm -hmm. And funny, and laughing, and being affectionate. So the positivity versus the negativity of the of the communication is what mattered. Not whether you got your point across, because unhappy couples were getting their points across, but they were hostile and they were attack and defensiveness. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was very clear when you know when you say to your partner, "The hell with you," uh, the message gets across very clearly. Good communication but it's not very nice communication. So the ratio of positivity to negativity turned out to be one of the most important things that predicted whether the relationship would work or not. Uh, The masters had five times as much positive as negative, even when they were disagreeing. And when they were just hanging out in the apartment lab, they had 20 times as much positive as negative. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much that the communication was clear as that it was kind and positive positive and people had fun and adventure together and they enjoyed each other's company.
2: And um, one of the um, criteria or ways that you judge success in relationship is longevity.
4: Right. Okay. Longevity and happiness.
1: Happiness.
4: Sort of go Good. together. I'm glad yeah,
1: happiness you're... is in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know a lot of couples who are together for a long time, but they're not happy.
4: Oh yeah. And we've, we've studied a lot of them. You know, they've stayed together 50 years and, you know, they are really basically enemies. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, and what we've discovered quite recently is that certain ways of dealing with conflict actually predict early husband death. Wow. So So that, you know, that old saw about, you know, conflict needs to be a win-win situation rather than a zero-sum game actually does predict so that, couples who have a zero sum game, fifty eight percent of those husbands died in the twenty year period, whereas couples who are cooperative, twenty two percent of the husbands died in that same twenty year longitudinal period. Wow. So a huge difference. Independent of husbands' initial health or age. Wow. So so people
1: can find her, out more about you at gottman.com. That's G-O-T-T-M-A-N.com. And you have a number of books, so I encourage people. I'm reading The Seven Steps, what, what is it, the seven steps to Keeping a Marriage Happy and Healthy.
4: It's called The Seven Principles for Making a Marriage Work.
1: Awesome. Seven Principles right. for Making a Marriage Work. I didn't have it on my desk. Do you have it on your desk? Yeah. Did you I steal do. my copy, D-Love?
2: Do um, I don't <laughs> think I stole your copy. I've got my copy. <laughs> you okay. your own copy.
1: Yeah, I do have my own copy. It's somewhere. It's floating around on my piles on my desk.
2: What are you inferring? Are you calling me a thief?
4: She's <laughs> <laughs> trying to borrow your copy.
1: I am. Maybe, maybe <laughs> like my I'm my trying to steal your My wife is driving my
4: car today because her car wouldn't start. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my job to call AAA. <laughs> and uh, then I've been driving her car all day. Oh. Uh. <laughs> so...
1: Oh, great. So we have to go to a break. Unfortunately, I'm having a lot of fun talking with Dr. Gottman today. Gottman.com is his website. And when we return, we're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes couples make when it comes to creating a lasting, and I'm going to add a happy relationship, too, because not only do we want a lasting one, we want a happy one. And, uh, you know, I'm going to add to the list. I want one with some good sex in it, too, because right. this is, you know, sex with Jaya. So I know so many that are just sexless and unhappy, even though they're lasting. So I want all three. I want the triple threat of relationships out there. When we get back, more sex with Jaya.
0: News. News. Opinion. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to become an oral sex aficionado and give your partner unforgettable pleasure day and night? Jaya, world renowned sexologist, has created the ultimate educational experience for couples. Oral Sex for Couples
3: Let's say you're female. Let's say you're over 50. Let's say your partner takes a little blue pill. Let's say he's ready to go maybe four hours. Let's say that's unfair. There's no little blue pill for women, but there Aloe alo-cadabra, the first personal lubricant that's made from 95% organic aloe. So it's as natural as nature, which means it naturally does for your body what your body may no longer naturally do for itself. We're not saying that it will last four hours, but if you're lucky, neither will he. Aloe cadabra Feel the magic happen.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Sex with Jaya. To ask the burning questions you've always wanted to ask or share a tip or comment of your own, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Feeling shy? Send an email to Jaya at com. That's J-A-I-Y-A at MissJaya.com. Now back to Sex with Jaya.
1: We're back and we're talking with Dr. John Gottman. He's an author of a number of books, a researcher and a founder of the Gottman Relationship Institute. So let's just dive in with what are some of the biggest mistakes that couples make when it comes to creating a lasty lasting a lasty a lasting happy and you know a relationship that has a good sex life? What do you think are the big mistakes out there?
4: Well, um, you know, our best way of predicting what's going to happen is looking at how a couple de- deals with conflict. And so in our lab what we find is that the masters are presenting a conflict in a very gentle way. They're minimizing defensiveness. They're, uh, for example, let me give you an example from my own marriage uh, that I learned in in studying my tapes. Um, I had an issue with Julie, my wife, and when we first got married, you know, I I thought she was too busy. She she, she had a very busy practice, a lot of friends, and I would say to her, Julie, what is wrong with you? you you're so emotionally unavailable to me uh mm. and i found that when i said that she did not want to spend more time with me
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? right and
4: so you know i i watched my tapes and then you know i realized i could say this a different way like the way the master said which is one day i said uh you know baby i'm getting that lonely feeling again and i really miss you i just i just need more of you in my day and remember a couple of weeks ago when we we made a fire and sat in front of it and cuddled and just talked. That was so sweet. How can we mm. do that again? And she said, how about now?
2: Uh-huh. So that was
4: really <laughs> effective. And that's sort of a dramatic example of how the masters really present things very differently, Uh an issue that they have. They talk about their needs very differently. They really present a recipe for – they talk about what they feel, but they present a recipe for success, whereas mm-hmm. the disasters – the big mistake they made is, make is they point their finger at their partner and they, they basically communicate, you know, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, I'm pretty much perfect, but you are defective. Right. You need therapy. You need to change.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. It's Have a you, difference ask, between but, criticism and appreciation. Exactly.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, so, the masters are really asking for what they need, but they're doing it in a way that they can really be heard. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh my friend Dan Weil, um uh, who's a really great therapist and and writes wonderful books, says that there are only two things we have to do in relationships. And one is voice, which mean which doesn't mean that we just speak, but we we get heard by our partner. And the other is connection. And mm-hmm. if we can accomplish voice and connection, everything follows. Mm-hmm. Well, the disasters really kind of mess up voice by uh, coming on too strong <clears throat> and don't mm-hmm. think about how somebody is going to respond. In fact, you know, when we look at very good relationships, when the partner spot, uh, starts with attack, you get the same negative sequences in good relationships that you do in unhappy relationships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, it really, the responsibility in a good relationship is not just on the listener. It's also on the speaker.
2: I think uh, one of the challenges I faced uh, is not knowing it at the time. In my marriage, I have one divorce under my belt, probably be mm-hmm. my last. Um, would many be, of us do <laughs> with that? Many of us do. Yeah, um, would be I think dealing with the voice thing. But it, part of it, we had really you know great quote unquote communication skills. But the voice thing that I didn't have handled was understanding what what, uh, what I actually needed. Like I just didn't even know what was there. For me to yeah
4: impress. yeah I think that I think that's true of a, of a lot of guys, especially mm-hmm. you know we don't get raised uh, with the idea that we should really examine our feelings very carefully right but when when you learn that skill, your emotions become your GPS in life for really mm-hmm. guiding you mm-hmm. and helping you understand what you need and you know based on based on what you're really feeling right
1: mm-hmm. So in your book, Dr. Gottman, you mentioned that it's the little daily intimacies that really make a difference, like knowing if your partner likes cream or sugar or, you know, what their favorite socks are, those little things. And so why is that important?
4: Because if you are if you know those things, it means you're asking questions and you're noticing. And if you're asking questions and noticing about little trivial stuff like that, then you probably are also asking stuff like... Well, how do you feel now being a mom, and mm-hmm. you know how how is that affecting your life and how and do you the world differently now that you've had a baby than you did before uh how are you changing and you know what are you all about right now so that or do you like your clitoris
1: rubbed on the right side yeah
4: right <laughs> uh, exactly you know I mean so you know so here's you know a relationship where they're continuing to know one another and they're not making assumptions. They're really asking questions and they're noticing, you know, and they're saying, Hey, you know, I noticed you stopped painting, you know, and you love to paint what's going on. You know? Mm -hmm. So that Mm -hmm. is really a partner who's, um, who's aware and who cares and is connected and very interested in their partner. So the very small stuff seems to be sort of the tip of the iceberg about somebody who's really interested in their partner.
1: Mhm. Could you think too much emotional intimacy can smother a relationship?
4: You know, um I I think that idea is wrong. Mm. Um you now, you know, it's an idea that that comes from uh the work of Murray Bowen, you know, who worked with uh very fractured and disturbed families where there was a, there was schizophrenia or psychosis and so on. And he talked about symbiosis that people become like parasite and host, you know. But mm-hmm. actually when you study, when you study real couples, you know, we find a wide variety of how much intimacy people want. And, you know, we find conflict avoiding couples who are very comfortable with not having very much intimacy, with being very independent, uh, having mm-hmm. very independent lives. We find couples who are on are the other extreme, who are very connected and very interdependent and And then we find couples in the middle who sort of, you know, pick their areas in which they connect, but they have a lot of independence as well, kind of balanced that way. All three kinds of couples are fine, and they're Mm -hmm. good parents, and they're, you know, their Mm -hmm. relationships are good, and 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 they get all the good stuff you get from having a lasting, trusting, loving relationship. So it's really, you know, I don't think there is really an optimal amount of intimacy that's right. That there's too much and or too little, you know. Mm-hmm. That that there's just the perfect amount, kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, you know, or the par <laughs> is just too hot, the porridge is just too cold, or the porridge is just right. Actually, you know, the what really messes up relationships is when people are mismatched. If one mm-hmm, person wants right. a lot of connection, and the other one really finds that cloying and smothering, it's not going to work out.
1: Right. So I think it has to do with attachment types. I've been reading a lot about that and some people who really need that. And then the people who are sort of anti that. And then you put those two together and you've got a whole cat and mouse chase and a lot of blaming of each other. Yeah, Yeah.
4: exactly. I mean, the person who wants more independence is is seen by the other person as cold, distant, you know, nasty. And the person who wants more connection is seen as dependent. Employing, you know, uh, overly needy. needy, right, you know. And so you get these insulting words that come out of this, but it's really based on really picking the wrong person and courtship. Mm-hmm.
1: So what advice would you give to a couple, uh, you know, D-Love and I, here we are, we have a new, a young child, a two-year-old, and it's really hard to find time to sit down and do like the exercises uh, in yeah. your book. Um, how do we get through these years without building up resentment and, you know, just letting it go by without really connecting?
4: I think that the 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 interesting thing about about this period that you're going through, you know, that makes it wonderful and also makes it, you know, challenging is finding time for one another and finding time to continue courtship. And what what we found happening when we just studied 130 newlyweds who went through, you know, we started studying them a couple of months after their wedding and we followed them as they got pregnant and had babies. 60% of them in the first three years of the baby's life had a precipitous drop in relationship happiness. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was 67% actually. So it was, You know, almost the majority, really the majority, but almost 70% of the couples who were really not doing very well. So there was increasing hostility on the videotapes. Uh, they were, they were competing with one another when the baby was born and, and they were really messing up the baby's emotional development. And they were getting more and more distant from one another. They weren't having sex. They weren't talking to one another. And when we studied, you know, what was different about the, about 30% who really uh, didn't experience that drop? We were able to create a workshop that we could teach uh, birth educators in hospitals to do a two-day awesome. workshop, and we could change all of that. We could we could eliminate that drop in relationship happiness.
1: When are you uh, teaching so, that? <laughs> uh,
4: we, we're, we're actually teaching it in 24 countries. Wow! Um, so we, you know, and the country of Iceland, for example, has adopted this as their program. And in Australia, they're doing this. And uh, New Zealand, they're doing it. And in, in many different countries, uh, this bringing baby home workshop is being done. Mm. And it's not very complicated. You know, the, it turns out the secret of dad's involvement with the baby is to not be fighting with mom very much. And, you know, but having a constructive way of talking about, about issues and maintaining intimacy and, and closeness in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So, what
1: do you think is a, the number one thing people can do? I beg your pardon. What do you think is the number one thing that new parents can do?
4: I think they've got to really take time for each other,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and um, <clears throat> and they also have to really keep dad involved with the baby, because the natural thing that happens is that a support group surrounds the mom and the baby, and dad is generally. Quite happy to leave and go to work mm-hmm. and really focus on work. But, you know, when, when dads realize that there have been about 300 studies that show that fathers make a unique and very important contribution to the intellectual and emotional development of both sons and daughters because they're so different in the way they play with babies. Uh, they're very, very important. And, uh, and it's important once they realize that, then they, they get more involved with the baby. And once mom realizes that, they can be a team that really parents together. It's a mm-hmm. hell of a lot of fun to play with a baby or a diaper baby or bathe a baby. Uh They're just very interested in you. <laughs>
1: Uh, <laughs> well, we have to go to a break unfortunately because i okay. still so want to pick your brain about this um okay, it's sure. gotman.com is the website and dr Gottman does have actually a book for new parents so that's uh, a really exciting thing i'm going to get my hands onto that um and he also has a new book coming out so when we come back from our break we are going to talk about his new book and also what's the best way to duke it out what's the best way for you to fight And some advice to couples in sexist relationships. How do they get their intimate lives back on track? That's a lot to cover in this next section, but stay tuned for more Sex with Jaya.
0: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com.
3: Let's say you're female. Let's say you're over 50. Let's say your partner takes a little blue pill. Let's say he's ready to go maybe four hours. Let's say that's unfair. There's no little blue pill for women, but there is allocadabra. alo-cadabra. The first personal lubricant that's made from 95% organic aloe. So it's as natural as nature. Which means it naturally does for your body what your body may no longer naturally do for itself. We're not saying that it will last four hours. But if you're lucky, neither will he. Aloe Kadabra. Feel the magic happen.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Sex with Jaya. To ask the burning questions you've always wanted to ask or share a tip or comment of your own, Please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Feeling shy? Send an email to Jaya at MissJaya.com. That's J A I Y A at MissJaya.com. Now back to Sex with Jaya.
1: Baby Makes Three is the name of the book by Dr. John Gottman, our guest today, um, who wrote about how parents can really keep their new parents can keep their lives, their relationships on track. I know getting them back on track and especially their sex life back on track can be very difficult. That's why... Ellen Heed and I are in the middle of launching our new RSVP program to help new moms and couples get their sex lives back on track. Be sure to visit ReclaimSex.com. We're giving away a free three-video series full of really valuable information like you've heard on this show today. So, um, Dr. Gottman, you also have a new book coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
4: Yeah, uh, it's called uh, The Science of Trust. And mm. here we I was doing research on, you know, what is it that, you know, moment-to-moment, moment, couples do to build a trusting relationship. And on the other hand, what do they do that builds distrust? And then uh, I was also looking at betrayal versus loyalty. You know, what's the story there? What um, what happens? Is this orderly? Is this lawful? Can we study it? And we've actually uh, created a mathematics for studying this, and it's very orderly, and it allows us, to now uh, be able to help couples when there has been betrayal or to prevent betrayal in the first place
1: mm. and create
4: trust and loyalty.
1: You are doing very important work. I commend you because this is research that really needs to be done. So thank you very much for doing it.
4: Oh, by the way, that uh, and Baby Makes Three was written with my wife, Julie. So
1: oh, wonderful. Was really
4: an equal partner in the research and in the writing. And she's a much better wonderful. writer than I am. <laughs> she's very smart. <laughs> and, so... Uh, yeah. Can you
1: tell our couples what the best way is to duke it out? Yeah.
4: Um, I think, you know, one of, there, there are a couple of things that we learned about conflict that I think are really interesting. One of them is that 69% of the time when we saw couples, you know, three years later or six years later or 18 years later or 20 years later, 69% of the time they were fighting about the same stuff in the same way. And we start realizing that when you pick a partner, you automatically have inherited your set of perpetual problems that you'll never resolve for the next 50 years. And you ought to pick somebody where you can live with those perpetual problems. And <laughs>
1: You can't change them, in other words, right? You can't,
4: you, yeah, they come from personality differences. And a lot of times, the stuff that we find attractive in our partner during courtship, as we're living together day to day, we find... That we want that to be changed. (laughs) So, Mm. they become issues. And, uh, so, so the perpetual problems, well, they just exist. And some couples kind of adapt to them, you know, and like in my marriage, my wife is much neater than I am. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a lot messier. And I think, you know, well, the home should be kind of messy. It shouldn't be that, you know, obsessive compulsive and shouldn't look like a museum. So we used to fight about that. And she'd say, well, I can't really feel a sense of internal order unless the house is orderly. And I would think, well, let me help you with that. (laughs) And that didn't work out very well. (laughs) So, you know, those perpetual problems, some couples kind of adapt to them. And Julie and I have done that with our issues. And sometimes the perpetual problems, they become gridlocked on them. And, And they're, you know it seems like to them like compromise is impossible. So that's a different kind of duking it out, really, because on those big perpetual issues, what we've discovered is the reason that some couples can't compromise is because there's a deeper meaning to their position that they're not talking about. So maybe they're arguing about money, for example, but what they really need to talk about is the meaning of money to each person and the history of their family with money. And... Once they get to what we call the dreams within the conflict, the life dreams within the conflict, then these gridlock conflicts become something they can talk about without hurting each other. Mm. So that's a a different kind of conflict than a solvable conflict. Um, I mean, the other kind of conflict that's very important is to be able to repair when you've hurt your partner's feelings and had a regrettable incident. All couples have moments where they say things that they regret or they hurt each other's feelings or you know they're just not in sync and the ability to repair that to be able to sit down and talk about it and process it is the basis for building trust
1: Mm, wonderful so we only have a few minutes before close this is a big um, question but what advice would you give to couples in sexless relationships how do they get their intimate lives back on track
4: well that's a very interesting question I thought a lot about it um... It really has to do with enhancing friendship in the relationship and intimacy. And a lot of that comes from feeling close and connected. Uh, Bernie Zilberghild did this research, the late Bernie Silbergeld who who wrote The New Male Sexuality, who is a sex therapist. And he found that when he studied 50 couples who had great sex, 50 couples who had bad sex, what was different about the two groups was that the couples whose sex life was going well made sex a priority, first of all, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. second, they stayed really close friends throughout their whole lives together. Mm-hmm. They didn't drift apart and adapt to that and say, oh, well, that's okay. So uh, it really has to do with closeness, emotional closeness. And then, of course, really, as you mentioned earlier, how and touch is so important, and oxytocin it's the hormone of bonding, but it's also the hormone men and women secrete when they have orgasm. And the stronger the orgasm, the more oxytocin gets secreted. So it's not very complicated, I think, uh, about how to create that sex life. And I think the best book out there about about this is uh, the book by Sherry Hype, The Height Report on Female Sexuality, because mm-hmm. it basically says that if you consider everything in a relationship sex, cuddling, touching, compliments, uh, kissing, um, then, you know, there are no sexual dysfunctions, really, except for those that are involved with pain. Um, you know, if, they're, if a couple is making out and he has an orgasm, he comes, you know, instead of it being premature ejaculation, it's really, oh, well, so he ejaculated. Yep. Uh, Let's keep going. Maybe maybe <laughs> it raises the question, what about me <laughs> for the woman, yeah. <laughs> you know? But it doesn't mean that there's a sexual dysfunction. So mm-hmm. I think Sherry Hyde knew that way back in 1975, and mm-hmm. we have a lot to learn from her.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think that that's really important. I call it, you know, we f- we have all this uh, focus on foreplay and then, you know, the chase to the orgasm, but then we've missed the after part, you know, yeah. the, the after sex part, the after play. Right, um, right. And so right. that that's... That's really important. Oh, yeah. I have so enjoyed having you on the show today. I know I learned a lot. Did you learn a lot, D-Love? Definitely. Wanting yes. Well, thank into you, your yeah. thank so you we yeah. are Yes. Thank We are fans, and we are very grateful that you came on the show today. And I really recommend, you know, if you're a new parent out there, get the book, And Baby Makes Three. I, I'm going to go get it, and I'm going to read it, and I'll let everybody okay. know what I think thank about you it. Thank for having I'll, I'll me on the show. Driving. Oh, you are very welcome. So I have had a fantastic time today on Sex with Jaya. Thank you to my my guest, Dr. John Gottman. Gottman Gottman.com is his website. You can go there for more information. I've enjoyed Sex with Jaya. Have you?
2: I've enjoyed Sex with Jaya.
0: Aloe is 95% organic aloe vera. Visit www.allocadabra.com today.